the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back into the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. This is our Around the Clock series with our 24-7 sports experts. And today... It's Penn State Day, so I got my man Tyler Donahue from Lions, Lions 24-7 and also the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler, man, welcome back. Nice to be here. Uh, I've had you on our podcast. I'm happy to return the favor talk Penn State. No doubt. So with the Around the Clock series, we're just bringing on our experts, trying to get the lowdown on, on what the team should look like this year. Maybe you know if they overachieve what they should look like, how that happens, and then also you know, maybe potentially some downside risk with uh, what, what happens if things don't go quite as planned and and why we'll talk with little transfers we'll talk with little newcomers and uh, just get a great feel for what this program is going to be like because i really don't feel if there's any any outlet out there that has the the local manpower uh, that we have at 24 7 sports you know newspapers are cutting we just keep adding folks so I'm, I'm i'm excited to to lean on our resources here we'll put 15 minutes on the clock and uh, if we need to we might we'll go into overtime all right so you're on the clock tutter Penn State last year in 2020, four and five, kind of disappointing year. I would say underachieved preseason expectations, but COVID. Let's just say the word COVID, and and you know that's probably a pretty pretty real excuse for a lot of the stuff that happened. I, I would guess. You and I have been, uh, you know, talking about Penn State and trying to figure out: how, do you put this season in a vacuum, and do, or do you? How much of it do you apply to 2021? And uh, you know, with COVID, I think James Franklin, the way he approached it, it was very much, how do I get this team through the year healthy? And they were one of two Big Ten programs, along with Rutgers, to actually play all of their games. As far as we understand, uh, no starter on this team, no one that was a, a rotational member missed time due to COVID over the course of the entire season. But the way they practiced, they didn't meet as a team until you know, midway through the year. They didn't practice as a team until they were already uh, down a couple losses into the season. They didn't tackle like they normally would. They didn't prepare like they normally would. And they were installing a new offensive coordinator in Kirk Shiraka last year. And he's already gone. So trying to figure out what happened last year when they started 0-5. A lot of people viewed them as a top 10 program entering the season versus how they finished. But they won four consecutive games at the end, kicked that off with a win at Michigan. Um, and then all those victories were by double-digit margins. So they got pasted along the way in, in November. And then they really picked up some steam and, and got to the finish line, which creates a lot of confusion for people trying to put together their preseason top 25s. And even here in Penn State, wrapping our head around what we're going to see when this team returns to the field in September. It, it really does. I, I wanted to put Penn State in my top 20-ish uh, in my, my, my preseason poll that we do for CBS. I, I really kind of want to put them top 15, but I, I just maybe after this call, I will. It, it bears noting that two of their losses last year 
had remarkably high post-game win expectancies. If you use Bill Connolly's formula, 95% win expectancy against Indiana based on how the game was played, 83% at Nebraska. You know, if, if you tell me Penn State is, you know, six and three as opposed to four and five, I don't think we're we're anywhere near as disappointed in how the season turned out. So, you know, they did have three stinkers, but ultimately there's still quite a bit of talent here, right? Let, let's go over who yeah. they lost a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I know people are going to point to Micah Parsons, but they lost him last year as an opt-out in August. And by the way, they lost Journey Brown to a heart condition last year before the season at running back. And then they lost Noah Kane, who stepped up as the primary running back during the first possession of the season opener. So those are, I would say, three of their top six, seven players on the roster last year. What we expected were not part of the equation after the first series of the first uh, game of the season. So here you got Noah came back in the fold. Journey Brown had to retire. Micah Parsons off to the NFL. What you do lose here, three top top 60 NFL draft picks. It's the first time Penn State has produced three top 60 NFL draft picks since 2003. So uh, 2018 recruiting class translating at the other end, Micah Parsons to the Cowboys, Jason Oway, defensive end with major athletic upside, not a tremendous amount of production for Penn State last year, but an all Big Ten performer. He went to the Ravens in round one, and then you had Pat Fryermuth um, go to the Pittsburgh Steelers in round two, and Bud Fryermuth needed only you know about two and a half seasons of a college career to become Penn State's all-time touchdown receptions leader at the position of tight end. So those are the three big losses, although you know you got to put Parsons in a category on his own. They bring back a considerable amount of talent. They lose a starting center in Michael Mennett, uh, a guy who's played a lot of football for them, and Will Fries also got drafted by, uh, by the Indianapolis Colts, played right tackle, played right guard. Uh, and then you lose a safety in Lamont Wade, who came in as a very highly touted prospect. Didn't really materialize to, to match that hype at Penn State, but was a two-year starter in the back end of the defense. So it kind of th- those, I would say, uh, spotlighted as, as big departures, but they also had some somewhat surprising guys stick around. Jahan Dotson was the Big Ten's leading receiver. He's back for his uh, an extra junior year. Uh, Jaquan Brisker, who, who went to Lackawanna Junior College and was an All-American there, really, really finished strong last year. Gave him a lot of consideration for the draft. He's staying on board. I think there's a lot of expectations. He could be one of the top safeties in the draft next season. And then Rasheed Walker, he'll be a third-year starter at left tackle, but uh, a guy that I think only started to scratch the surface, maybe plateaued bit last year, but now with a full offseason, really getting the uh, impression here in Happy Valley that he is ready to really become Penn State's potentially their first uh, offensive lineman off the board in the first round since 2007. That's, that's quite the drought. But Walker's a kid we liked a lot as a recruit. He kind of had that mm-hmm. basketball build early on in high school. I don't know if he was a basketball guy background-wise. I'm trying to remember, but certainly kind of looked like that at, at times. And as he continues to fill out, that's that's pretty awesome. I also want to make sure we mentioned Parker Washington. I, I got absolutely skewered, justifiably so, in our spring gleaning series when I did not mention Parker Washington <laughs> enough. I do think he's a good player. At, all right, Tyler, tell me, can Parker Washington, can he take the next step and become not just a, a guy who plays a lot for a freshman, but somebody who defenses in the Big Ten really have to be scared about? Yeah, I think you're looking at just with with the basis of, of Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson, you're looking at probably Penn State's most impressive, versatile uh, a group of, of past targets that they've had since probably 2018, um, maybe before then, even uh, 2017, 16. Uh, Parker Washington last year 
he made a run for Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He was pl- wasn't playing for a very good team, but in game one of, of his college career, he caught a touchdown uh, in, in overtime against Indiana to put the pressure on the Hoosiers to march back down and score. Um, he ended up finishing the, the season as, as a dynamic weapon, six touchdowns, averaged about 14 yards per catch. And he's a guy that I anticipate you know can surpass 50 catches this year. Jahan Dotson moves on to the NFL. He's going to be that number one target kind of player. Uh, he came in last year, uh, not as an early enrollee bud and just wowed everybody when he got to camp uh, from high school in Texas. Um, it came in, t- in you know the middle of a pandemic practice protocol and immediately worked his way into the starting lineup. Wide receivers a little dicey for Penn State beyond Washington and Dotson in terms of experience and, and actual tangible production. But I'll tell you right now, I think Parker Washington over the next couple of years, uh, if, if he can duplicate and build upon what we saw as a freshman, I think he could really rise up the rankings of, of all-time Penn State pass catchers. And I think particularly working in this new offensive scheme, uh, he's suited quite well for the role. So I, I know from listening to the Lions 247 podcast that y'all actually got to, got to see some scrimmages and practices this spring, which is, which is pretty cool. And there's a new offensive coordinator in town with, with, with uh, Kirk Sharaka leaving and Mike Yersich coming in. What, I don't really want to get into what prompted the move, but what, what are the areas that you think will look the most different? Yeah, well, I think the the area that everyone's focused in on is Sean Clifford in the quarterback position. It is a, it is a position that really under James Franklin peaked in 2016 uh, with, with the Big Ten championship run with Trace McSorley, who also played tremendous football as a junior the following year, but kind of plateaued a bit um, as a senior in 2018. Uh, Sean Clifford ended up beating out Tommy Stevens somewhat surprisingly after McSorley left, and he's got 20 career starts now, um, does Sean Clifford, more than 4,000 passing yards, more than 40 touchdowns, but no one is ready to really uh, dig in uh, to, to the Clifford camp right here in, in State College. There's a lot of trepidation about him being the, the clear-cut QB1 right now. I think a lot of people thought that they would bring in a transfer quarterback. Mike Yersich might have somebody up his sleeve, uh, dial in, bring him in and challenge Sean Clifford. Instead, what we've seen at the quarterback spot is Micah Bowens, who was a freshman last year. He went off to Oklahoma. And more importantly, Will Levis, who was the number two quarterback last year, briefly started when Clifford was bench Levis now at Kentucky as a transfer so they're left behind Clifford right now but it gets very scary you got Taquan Roberson who's a third year freshman uh he has thrown one pass in his college career that was in the 2019 finale against Rutgers was it you good got Chris <laughs> you got Christian <laughs> Christian Veyer who comes in uh, as a highly acclaimed quarterback out of Ontario Canada maybe the high maybe the most highly regarded recruit out of Canada at his position but he didn't play ball last year at the Bullets school in Maryland uh, where he was where he was down in the states they didn't have a season last season last year so last time he saw live bullets was 2019 he enrolled early but right now you're a player two away from, from looking at Roberson or Veyer as your guy and, and and quite frankly it's not really just about if Sean Clifford gets injured it's if Sean Clifford looks like he did during the first half of last season you can't afford to stick with him but can you afford to turn to the next guy and that is where Penn State Yursich James Franklin find themselves in a bit of a bind right now in some ways, is it, I don't know, encouraging that they decided to stick with Clifford? Like, this has to mean that the that Penn State's coaching staff thinks there's more in the tank, that he well, can get to another level, right? James Franklin is loyal, loyal, loyal. And, and, and I think some would say to a fault in some instances. And, and he's a former quarterback himself. And last year when Sean Clifford you know, was dealing with some serious turnover issues and Penn State kept dropping games, 
there was a lot of press from us in the media. There was a lot of press, certainly from from fans on social media, um, wondering why they weren't turning away from Sean Clifford. And, and, and Franklin said, you know, you got to think about a lot when you make a decision like that. How's it going to affect the quarterback room, the offense, the player, the coaching staff? And, and they are invested in Sean Clifford. Uh, he's a guy who committed to them halfway through high school before he went on to become an Elite 11 finalist. His younger brother, Liam Clifford, is, is an incoming freshman wide receiver with this program. So it's a family is all in with this program and, the, and they're all in with Sean. Again, 20 starts as a sample size. His first start in the Big Ten, he was named the conference's offensive player of the week after a really strong performance at Maryland. But when you go back to the 2019 game on the road at Minnesota, when Penn State was inside that top four for the college football playoff, that's when Clifford started to get antsy. Uh, you really saw the emotions uh pick him in a bad direction. He had some turnovers in that game and it never really has seen him recover for a sustained period of time, but he'll be 23 this summer. People are wondering, is he what he is? Is there a way to kind of fix some of the things where he doesn't always seem to read his progressions thoroughly? Is there a way to avoid those turnover prone tendencies that he has? Um, and at the end of the day, does it matter if, if he improves all, you know, uh, considerably because what else is in that quarterback room that's really going to convince you to shake things up when you start at Wisconsin, that, that's not an easy game to throw in a first time starter. And, and I just don't know that they have the guy capable of doing that anyway on this roster. Certainly. So looking at some numbers that stand out to me last year, if this team is going to be more what what what's the baseline here? Eight, eight and four, nine and three? I think you're you're looking at this team's first three games. Uh, you know they've got Ball State, uh, you know coming in as a Group of Five champion, a program from last season. Um, that that's in between a trip to Wisconsin and hosting Auburn in Week Three. Really curious to see what the Tigers look like this year, early in the season with the new coaching staff. But they get them in Happy Valley, so there's a launch pad of sorts there. But if you can go up and beat Wisconsin, come back, play Ball State team that was very respectable last year, and play Auburn at home, both those games in Beaver State. And if you can survive that, we're talking about Penn State going from, you know, forget top 20. They're going to be really in that conversation of, of maybe being that second best team in the Big Ten, whereas Ohio State and everybody else. Uh, but there's a lot of potential pitfalls along the way. Uh, they have not been able to overcome Ohio State since 2016. Uh, you know, Michigan State, you'd think maybe would, would get a bit better. Indiana is probably the program that you wonder how, how is Penn State going to handle them after losing last year and close games in the past with that program. Um, there, there's a lot here, but I think we're going to figure it out with, with, with that Wisconsin matchup on the road. I think that's probably, I know it, it's it's cheating to say this now in May, but after that game, what we see from Sean Clifford, what we see from this offensive line, what we see from just really across the board, because it's so hard to figure out if 2020 was an anomaly. When we get out of that game, you could say Penn State can go on and they beat everybody, but maybe Ohio State on their schedule. Or after that game, you say, you know, can Penn State get to eight wins? That might be a question mark, but I lean more towards the high end because let's face it, before 2020, James Franklin led this program to 11 wins in three of his four seasons. And you know they came from a really bad situation when Franklin got there. So I tend to lead more towards that sample size than I do what we witnessed in an abbreviated Big Ten only, no fan in the stadium scenario last fall. I think that's a great point. I mean, it's not real smart to overweight the most recent season relative to past accomplishments anyway, especially not when the most recent season was like the weirdest year we've seen uh, I mean, since, what, like the 1910s? So, yeah. Like, I don't uh, have an answer for you. If there's a weirder season, <laughs> I haven't encountered it. <laughs> it, it, it. Maybe one of those like post-World War II seasons where they played the Rose Bowl at Duke or something like that. Um, 
what one thing I noticed in, in digging through Penn State stats is last year teams manned them up almost all the time. Like they were 12th in the country in, in amount of man coverage faced and they were 118th in the country in passes thrown as a percentage over 20 yards. So it felt like teams were able to man them consistently and then kind of squat on the short stuff and they didn't push the ball down the field you know, successfully or not. Like they just didn't really throw a, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the really deep balls. Is that something that maybe, maybe they, they mentioned this, maybe they haven't like, is that something that you're aware of that, that under your search they want to try to do differently? Yeah, explosive plays are certainly a priority um, an emphasis for improvement with the coaching staff change. You know, Kirk Shiraka being dismissed after one year and, and what that year was. They were really excited to get Kirk Shiraka last offseason coming in from Minnesota. And for them to, to kind of shake it up to this point, bring in Yersich just tells you, I think James Frank was extremely frustrated what he's getting out of the offense, explosive plays and, and starting with that trigger man at quarterback. But really, this was an offense last year, bud, that lacked a lot of explosiveness. And it was kind of a stark contrast because you had KJ Hamler the year before you had journey Brown the year before. And I just want to remind your listeners journey Brown during the final stretch of the 2019 season, leading up to a cotton bowl where he set a Penn state record for rushing yards in the postseason. He was as effective as any runner in the country for that five games uh, where, where he really took the, the bell cow role at, at that backfield high hopes going into 2020 and then all of a sudden medical retirement. And it was just a terrible situation, but to lose him Hamler and then have uh, an offense that really, you know, it, it was an offense that certainly was, was, was um, playing within 15, 10 yards, not a lot of big plays. I mean, Pat Fryermuth was a consistent uh, guy who would move the chains, but he's not going to go off for 30 yards. Jahan Dotson late in the season showed some of that big play potential that I think people kind of sleep on with him. Parker Washington can do that too, but no, was stepping up there was no real speed threat and I'm, that's where I'm still concerned but I look at the receiver core is there a speed guy a true vertical threat ready to step up and challenge defenses I'm not sure about that so I, I think they have the tight ends to, to handle the post Pat Fryermuth era still not quite sure what they've got John Lovett's an intriguing player to me to see how they use him coming from Baylor <laughs> as a transfer running back so maybe he's a guy who can who could be that explosive playmaker but maybe something that they're lacking that they've had in years past Given how Penn State's recruited at linebacker, you have to assume that they're going to have dominant linebacker play. Like, am I wrong to think that? <laughs> well, in this in this neck of the woods, uh, from a national perspective, Penn State fans are not thrilled with the linebacker play. Um, and, and look, the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach Brent Pry was dealt a very difficult hand last year, losing arguably college football's premier defensive yeah. <laughs> player. Uh, you know, right as you're getting ready to, to prepare for this insane season, um, and because of that, he had to move Jesse Lucchetta, a guy who's who, who's really was uh, I think out of out of his uh, range a little bit playing that will roll last year with Micah Parsons out. Um, and then you had Brandon Smith as a first-year starter playing Sam. Now they've got Brandon Smith over at the will. Lucetta wasn't physically able to participate in spring ball. He's competing for that Mike linebacker. We think Lucetta may even transition to defensive end potentially where they could use some help. But Ellis Brooks is a guy there at middle linebacker, a former four-star. He's now in his fifth year on a college campus. He's really got to come together and put together a complete season at middle linebacker. I think that's a spot that you're worried about. But tapping into that recruiting Brandon Smith, who I mentioned going from the, the the over to the will from the Sam, where I think he's going to have a lot more of a chance to be a disruptive force using his physicality, uh, pursuing ball carriers rather than being out in space. You got Curtis Jacobs stepping up into the starting lineup 
probably. And he was a five-star by 24-7 Sports just a couple of years ago. So you lose Micah Parsons. You have this kind of buffer year where it's a bit of a mess, uh, trying to piece things together with the Band-Aid. But now you got to rely on that. These are Brent Prize guys. He's been at Penn State since James Franklin came from Vanderbilt. He's recruited all these linebackers. And he's got two of the nation's very best in terms of what you were getting out of the high school level and Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs. If those guys can be stars and if those guys can prove they can be your two linebackers on the field when you go to a two linebacker front and bring in maybe a fifth defensive back, they're going to be in good shape. But depth ain't great right now, bud. And Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, for all the adulation, for all of what I think they can accomplish years from now in, in football careers, they still got to do it on the field here at Penn State. So, I'm, I, we, and by the way, our, our time is up. Kick this in overtime just Whoop. ever so briefly. <laughs> what a shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, receiver, safety, and backer, pretty good with the starters. Depth issues, maybe, maybe a real concern if, if injuries mount. Um, okay. I, 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 can, I can get behind this team. I, I feel like – I don't know. I, I wonder if they were hurt by, by the pandemic-type offseason more than some others with, with, with the new offensive coordinator hire, like you mentioned. That, that could be you know, kind of an undersold thing there. But the one name that we I didn't mention at all, and I, you can't let me off here without mentioning it, Kevon Lee. Uh, keep an eye out for this guy. You know, Noah Kane and Jer- yeah, Noah Kane and Journey Brown being out of the mix last year resulted in him seeing a ton of touches. Devin Ford, another former top prospect, was unable to kind of be the guy. And by the end of it, Kevon Lee was the one leading this team in rushing yards. He was the guy leading the team in rushing touchdowns. You've got Noah Kane back in the mix. I still think he leads this team in rushing if he is fully healthy and he's coming out of spring ball being looking like a recovered guy after his injury last year. But to me, Kevon Lee is not going anywhere, even with John Lovett coming in from Baylor. Keep an eye on this kid. He's 240 pounds. He's extremely athletic. He had interest from SEC programs to play linebacker coming out of high school. And he did not play a senior year of high school before he got to Penn State last year. To me, last year, with, with the offseason that was so restrictive, not having a senior year, he was very much just an upright runner, a guy who was getting the ball and moving forward. He showed a little bit more speed. I think some more nuance when we saw the spring scrimmages. Kevon Lee, Noah Kane, if they're able to have those two as a tandem, that to me is where you can really do some favors for Sean Clifford and open things because you got to get it done on the ground against a team like Wisconsin. And and, and also, again, when Auburn comes to town, you got to be able to match them up and keep them honest. And, and I think they have the ability to do that right now. And uh, Kevon Lee, just uh, I feel like he's not getting talked about enough across the country right now. Tyler, where can everybody follow you on Twitter? I'm at TD's Take, and of course, we're at Lions 24-7. Dude, Lions 24-7, awesome. Listen to the Lions 24-7 podcast. If you're a Penn State fan, no excuse not to be subscribed to Lions 24-7. Go check them out. All right, man. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.